have a, a bulletin, would you go ahead and take that out? I want to point out a couple things that are inside there. Uh, we want to welcome you again to Kingwood. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, give you the instructions that you need to prepare uh, both for how to respond to, to today's service and then also how to give an offering at the end of the service. So in just a minute, our ushers are going to pass you and they're going to have an offering envelope. And if you need one of those because you're giving a cash offering or because you want to sign up for online giving or make a change of address, in a minute when they pass you, you can, you can wave at one of our ushers and they'll give you an offering envelope. If you're given by check, your check will serve as a record of your gift. Also inside your bulletin you have um, a connection card, so I want to say this to you. If you're brand new today to Kingwood Church, uh, we want to ask you to fill that out and just let us know that you are here today. It uh, looks just like this. Um, it, again, if you don't have one of those, in just a minute, our ushers are going to pass you and you can wave at them and they'll have extra copies of this. Uh, you can get one of those there. Also, if you uh, respond, today at the end of the service, we'll ask you to give your offering, give your offering envelopes, and also to turn these in. So if you're new, if you just let us know that you are here, or if God did something in your life this morning, or if you have a prayer request, uh, you can give us all that information on the card, and we'll take that up at the end of the service. So I'm going to ask our ushers if you'd come now, and uh, they'll pass you twice. If you'll just wave at them if you need an offering envelope for the offering, if you need um, a response card, you can get that there. If you're uh, new today, we want to say a great big welcome to you. Would you, Kingwood Church, give all of our new folks today a great big warm welcome today? Good to have you here this morning. Uh, also, many of you have taken the tithing challenge, and so it's now May. We're on the third month, so uh, those of you who've said, I want to take that challenge, you started increasing uh, your giving uh, from 1% in February to 2% in uh, March, and now uh, 3% in April, and now that it's May, it's 4%. So I want to thank you for making your way toward becoming a tither. Now, we've been excited for a long time about today. Inside your bulletin, I have a little thought that uh, maybe you've seen it already, but I want to just read it to you because I think it says what this series is about that we're doing. Welcome to Kingwood Church. Consider the following thought. Your life is a unique translation of Scripture. In other words, your life is a unique uh, revelation of the love and grace of God. The work that God has done in your life by His love and grace is unique to you. And it is a unique way that God reveals Himself uh, to the entire world through you. And so that's kind of the foundation of this whole series we're going to be doing the next three weeks. Today, Paul and Angela are going to be sharing. Next Sunday, uh, Suzanne Cox will be sharing on Mother's Day her story. And then Pastor Manuel and Doris the next Sunday. So I want to ask you to keep bringing folks with you, keep inviting friends. These stories are unique translations of Scripture. And they're the way that we understand who God is. And not only what He did in their life, but what He wants to do in our life. So as you hear these stories, what you're looking for is the work of God in a person's life. You're looking for clarity in your own life. You're looking for maybe the spots that God's already been working in your life, but you didn't recognize it until you saw it first in somebody else's life. That's oftentimes how we see that. So um, today, I'm so thrilled uh, that Paul and Angela uh, have given us the opportunity to share their story. So I want you guys to give them a great big welcome as they come. 
as, uh, as they're preparing, um, I just want to say this before they share. When I asked them, would you share your story today, they said, um, we'd be honored to do that. But before we uh, tell anybody, there's parts of our story that our kids don't know. And before we say that to anybody else, we really would like the opportunity to talk to them. And so um, they did. Uh, and so I want you to understand that the story that they share today is very personal to them. And uh, they've given us a huge opportunity just to hear from them. So um, you guys ready? We're ready until you told everybody to move up and then you put bright lights right here. Yes. Outside of that, it's just like being at home. That's right. So go ahead and, and share with us your story. All right. Before we get started, I just want to thank the uh, members of our small group. Um, a year ago, we went into uh, the young marrieds, the, uh, the hitched group. And uh, man, it was like stretching us that much further. You know, we, uh, um, we were terrified. It's all these people who've been raised in church and they know so much more about God than what we know. And uh, we go in there and there's people who actually had a plan for their life and they actually went to college and they did all this stuff and they're professionals and, you know, seriously, I do landscaping and, and Angela does catering. We're, we're gardeners and cooks. And if you look back at, you know, history all the way through, that, that, that's the lowest of positions. But God has really used it. Um, there, there's people that come to work with us and, you know, uh, we, our, our door for landscaping is a constant flow of people who come through that are looking for where their next step in life is. And so um, we're honored to be uh, a, part of, a part of Hitched. And, you know, we just pretty much sit back and, and um, we're real with them and we love real people. And the, and the Hitched group is just flat out real. You know, people come in, they, they open themselves up. So, so you're saying the Hitched group is in this service? I believe so. Well, well where are they at? Oh, <laughs> uh, really? Balaji's the only one? Do you guys really <laughs> like them or not? I just need to know. Did the Hitched group really like... Come on, come on, let's hear it one time. There you go. All right. Good. All right. Now, no throwing anything. All right, so I'll get started. Um, Mom and Dad were Jesus freaks around the same time like Pastor Mark was a Jesus freak. And, uh, and they seriously did everything by the book. I mean, if the Bible said it, they did it. They were crazy. We'd go on family vacation with a stack of New International Version Bibles because we'd pull up to the gas station and Dad would hand a Bible to somebody who was pumping gas beside them. And, uh, and they said, we're going to always send our kids to Christian schools. So, you know, whether it was red day or blue day for the uniforms or whether it was a tie day for chapel, whatever it was, I was raised by somebody who did everything as perfect as they could. And... Um, and, and, you know, mom and dad never argued. They said, you know, we'll discuss stuff. And so we really didn't see fat fights and, and all that. Um, but still, you know, early days, there was this, uh, you know, hell, uh, hellfire and brimstone preaching. And at 12 years old, I'd stand there and I would, uh, I would cry out to God. I'd be by my bedroom window day after day. Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm terrible. I knew all the temptations God started hitting me with in adolescence. And Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm a heathen. And, and, and I never felt a, a peace until I went camping with the Royal Rangers group. I was 16 years old and I was laying in tent. And I was thinking about the story. Me and a buddy were there. And I was thinking about the story of Jesus um, when he tells a story about the, the bridegroom and the, and the virgins with their oil in their lamps. And all of a sudden it triggered that um, Jesus was wanting a dating relationship. And that all of a sudden it clicked the, the marriage feast. 
And I thought, you know, what's a marriage feast for if it's not the bride of Christ going to heaven? And at 16 years old, I'm starting to think about girls. So, you know, marriage and relationships and all that stuff makes sense. And so I say, Lord, okay, I will date you at this point. And um, the problem was I graduated that year. And, uh, and at 16 years old, it was two years before I should have graduated, I graduated. And I had my mom and dad had made me pay for my own car. They thought that was responsible. And so I bought my own car, but they couldn't take away my keys. And uh, so from 16 till in my 18s, um, I partied. Um, I'm talking about, you know, we don't need to glorify the devil, but it was the ones where you go out and you rent a hotel room or you, um, you go to somebody's house because their parents are going to be gone. And uh, the, the, the first person that introduced me to let me smoke some pot was somebody I went to Christian school with. And the first party I went to, where, and I didn't do it, but the first party I went to that they had pot and also had an acid there was somebody that I went to church with. So, you know, you can be a parent and you can do everything perfect. And it does not mean that you're, you're, you're going to avoid all that. Because um, mom and dad couldn't have done anything any different. Um, but, you know, during that time, God was chasing me. Because somehow at 16, I told God, I'm yours. I want to date you. And then all of a sudden, I was free, and I didn't act like I was wanting to date him. And yet he chased me. The same way I never lost, um, I never lost my real dad as my father, God never let go of me. And he was grieved the same way my real dad would be grieved, and the same way my mom cried about it. Um, but in the middle of all that craziness and partying, that's how God sends me the, the woman of my life. You know, who, who is to say that, that God takes somebody who's partying and says, this is how I intend for this man to meet his wife. But that's what he did. So, um, I grew up totally different. Uh, when my mom and dad was, when I was three years old, my mom and dad divorced. Um, he was an alcoholic and he beat my mother. And um, my mother, she um, remarried and they had my brother. And when my brother was um, two months old, my, my stepfather, he was killed in a car accident and he had been drinking. And then um, she remarried again. And the summer before I was a senior in high school, she, he left her for another woman. And he drank and he did drugs. And um, throughout all of this, I was a van kid. I'd go to vacation Bible school in the little town I grew up in. Um, we had a big hurricane and a little hurricane. And the little hurricane was bigger than the big hurricane. And... Um, I would only do the van kid thing because there was a boy on there and his name was Boo and I thought he was very cute and so <laughs> I would go because of him. And, um, but throughout all of that, um, there, was, there was physical abuse and there was sexual abuse. I was an alcoholic. Um, I did drugs. I dabbled in some drugs and stuff. And at the age of 17, when I was a senior in high school, um, I had an abortion. Um, after I had the abortion, the next day I was made to go back to school and act as if nothing had happened. And um, days would pass, and, and I'd just be thinking to myself, you know, what happened? I wasn't, it wasn't clicking, you know, what was going on. And um, I didn't get in trouble in school or anything. Grades were just really sad. I didn't, I didn't put forth no effort or anything. 
Um, I found myself going to, I found a couple of times I went to a hospital and um, went to the baby area and was just looking and I'd think, you know, what would my baby look like? You know, what would he grow up to be and, and things like that. And um, uh, so after that, after I graduated, um, I really went downhill. Partying was a go. Um, I was drinking all the time. Everything that entailed partying, I was doing. Um, it got so bad that uh, my mother sent me away for a month to live in Texas with my uncle. And I just gotten, I did stuff there I wasn't supposed to do. I found stuff to do. And um, so in that, Octo that October is when I, Paul and I met. And the way God puts two people together, that he wants to be his children and he wants to have this great family for him, is that they need to meet in the back of a pickup truck um, on a Halloween night rolling yards. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's, that's how we did it. I was, um, I was actually there to be set up with his friend. And um, so through the night, um, we're riding in the back of this little pickup truck and um, I'm in between these two guys and everything, and then Paul tells me later on, he said, oh, and I'm dressed like Jason on Friday the 13th. <laughs> she got the whole hockey mask. I got the hockey mask, I've got the, the overalls, and I've got my brother's steel-toed work boots, you know, and, and, um, and so he didn't see me, uh, he didn't see my face all night long, and um, until about, <laughs> I guess until about five minutes before um, we left and everything, but um, he tells me later on, I was like, you know, what was it? What did you say? You said, um, you said, I didn't have to, I said, what was it? I said, you didn't even see me. And I said, when you did see me, I was a hot mess. I said, I was sweating. I had this fake blood on my head. So it was all running down my face and everything. And he said, I didn't need to see you. He said, it was your personality that, that got me. And, um, I was like, oh, okay. You know, she, so, she kept laughing at my friend's jokes, and I thought he was going to have a chance. And so I had to reach out and hold her hand so he didn't have a chance. <laughs> so. <laughs> so that was um, that was Halloween night, and then in um, January, um, we found out that we were pregnant with that we were pregnant, and uh, I just was reeling. I didn't know what to do because. The abortion had just happened the February before, and um, I, didn't, I didn't know, you know, I couldn't go through it again. I didn't know if I was going to have to do that again. And um, so I had already told him, and he, you know, he said he accepted me. He, you know, he didn't put me down because here he was from a, a Christian family, and I knew, you know, what Christians thought about that. And um, he was like, you know, it, it's okay. And I was like, we, you know, we're going to have to wait as long as possible to, to tell. And, um, and so we, we waited for as long as possible to tell. And then his mother overheard on the phone. Yeah, I, I had one of those yeah. phones in our house, you know, that had the super long stretchy cord. <laughs> and you can pull it all the way around a corner. And so I could go in a pantry and talk. 
And uh, I guess mom wanted to know what I was talking about because she probably acted like she was doing kitchen work right outside the pantry door. But I had pulled that thing way on around and I was sitting there hunkered down with that phone. And when I come out, mom has this look of, you know, big eyed, just she had overheard me say that Angela was pregnant. And so I was 18 at that time. You were 18, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Mason, Mason was born when we were, when we were, I was 18, Angela just turned 19. Yeah, and I told him, I said, uh, well, I'll tell my mother when I'm good and ready. And um, it didn't work out that way. I come home one day, and he was waiting for me in our garage, and he had told my mother. He w she wouldn't tell her. Yeah, so. I wouldn't tell her. <laughs> and uh, so he came out, and he was waiting right there. And um, I was like, oh, goodness. So I go to the back, and uh, she's in her bedroom. And... Um, she had already called what I affectionately called her posse. That's my grandmother, my aunt, and her best friend. <laughs> and um, so they're all there and everything. And, and, uh, but walking into that room, it, it was horrible. I mean, I'd already, I was a huge disappointment to her. I knew I was. And, you know, walking in and seeing them and being a huge disappointment to all of them. You know, it, um, you know, here we go again. What, what are we going to do? And um, the, the questions, they started rolling, you know, but we had no clue as to what we were going to do, none. And um, I, I couldn't go through, I, I wasn't going through another abortion. And um, so what we wound up doing was um, he lived at home. And I lived at home. We worked like crazy. Um, I was going to school full time. I was going to college. I hated school. I hated it. I don't know why I even went to college, but um, I did. And then I was working two, almost two full time jobs. And um, so later on, he tells me I could quit college. And I was like, yeah. And um, so um, we wound up paying. Um, we wound up paying for the doctor in cash. We had to pay about $5,000 or so in cash. And, but he still stayed at home, and I stayed at home, and we didn't get married at that time. And so, yeah, I was making maybe six bucks an hour with the guy that I was working with cutting grass. And, uh, and he said, well, he said, I tell you what, I don't think your girlfriend's pregnant, but if she's actually pregnant, he said, I'll give you a raise. He said, I'll give you $7 an hour. And so... Then I had to pay for a $5,000 hospital bill off of, off of uh, $7 an hour. So no Snicker bars, no, uh, no pops or, or sodas or anything like that. Yeah, pops for you, George. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, you know, you think, why does God put a child in that type of situation? We're young. We're, we're, we're broke. Uh, we're very undisciplined. Um, babies don't come with owner's manuals. Uh, there's... Well, I mean, why does God put a child in, into, into that? I mean, who's going to nurture a child when you're living that kind of life? Uh, but he does, and, and he's smarter than me, so, and, and he works it all out. Uh, around that time, uh, I think Mason had been born, and we had not gotten married yet, so it's in a four-month window between us having Mason and actually getting married. There's a lady at our church comes up and gives a prophetic warning to me and my friend, says, if you keep on doing what you're doing, uh, you're going to lose the thing that you value the most. 
And after the church, we both left. And he said, man, he said, I want to go in the Air Force. And my most valuable thing is my eyesight. He said, I need my eyesight to go in the Air Force. And I said, well, I don't have anything. I said, I've got a Datsun station wagon. And it, you know, um, it, I said, that's all I got, though. And we said, okay, we're going to stop sleeping with our girlfriends. And I said, okay. So that only lasted maybe two weeks. And, <laughs> and, and you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, best intentions. And... Uh, and, and, but I knew, and I knew it was a warning from God. And it, and it was just through a, a crash. I mean, almost a, a foot over, and I would have T-boned a telephone post enough to have killed me. And God took the car away, just like he said he would. I mean, prophetic warnings are for real. Um, so we were married, though, when Mason turned four months old, uh, or when he was four months old. And so when we got married, Angela's family says, well, obviously you can't support a child uh, working at $7 an hour. Um, we all work down there in the coal mines in Brookwood at Jim Walter Mines, and uh, we can get you a great job working in the coal mines. And of course, I was young and smarter than everybody else. And, uh, and I said, oh, no, no, I don't need a job in the coal mines. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, start my own grass cutting business. And uh, that's what I did. And I refused to take their job in the coal mines. And these people are looking at me because I was an idiot. They thought he was an idiot. I yeah. was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who turns down a job making this much? It took us five, six, seven years to ever make the same amount we could have started right then making. I mean, it was a, I mean, the first year we started the company, we took home $6,000. We lived on 500 a month. Um, it was really a stupid decision. I mean, I wouldn't be brave enough to do it now, I don't think. But dad takes, and all the stuff we did wrong, all the stuff that mom and dad saw us going through, you would think a parent would say, find your own way. But he didn't. He said, i tell you what, he said, I'll loan you the money for a lawnmower, a weed eater, and a blower, and I'll help you buy a truck. And he did. I mean, he loaned us $2,000 for equipment, and, he, and he, he found this old clunker truck, and he helped us buy it. And... Um, and he reached out, even though we weren't doing what we should do. Um, oh, is it my turn? turn? Oh. Yes. <laughs> um, well, we lived in a, we lived in Cahaba Heights, and we lived in an old uh, slave cottage. And it, uh, I had to go down and around the bottom to the washing machine and the dryer. And when pa Paul's father is really tall, and when he came in the house, he'd kind of have to like do his head because the ceilings were so small. Definitely when he went through the doorway, he had to do like this. Have you ever been in a short ceilinged house? You know the ones where they only used to put the ceilings at like six and a half, seven foot tall? Have you, you ever seen those? Yes. I mean, that's, that's what it was. Yeah. Our um, bathroom, it was so small that when you sat on the toilet, your knees touched the sink. And so you did, and then the back of us, and the back of the toilet, it was, it was, you know how they do now the pallet wood, the planks and stuff. That's in style now. Well, that was what was we were in style, <laughs> and so um, we just didn't know. I tried taking and putting wallpaper on there one time, and I stapled it on there because it wouldn't stay on. And so you just do what you got to do, I guess, you know. But at the time, you know, it was two hundred and fifty dollars a month, and that included utilities. And um, we found ourselves going downtown to sign up for the um, WIC program. And, um, and during all of this, uh, Paul's family, they always took us every Sunday to Ryan's Buffet. And um, 
we would eat the buffet and everything, but we'd always get like a hamburger and fries, and that would be our meal a lot of times on Monday night. We'd just reheat it, and that would be it. And my family made sure that Mason had clothing and, and diapers and all that kind of stuff. And um, so in the process, Paul's wanting to do this thing called tithing. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm having to go down here to this thing and all these crazy people, you know. And um, I was like, this, uh-uh, no. And he kept, we had a many heated arguments because I didn't understand what tithing was. And, um, or I didn't see any, any we, we didn't just it. We didn't just argue about it. Yeah. We did it because yeah. it was at the top of the paper. Yes. And I just took tons of heat for it. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the claws were out. <laughs> I'd write the checks and she'd do this number. <laughs> Exactly, you know, and um, but during this, we, at our old church, we um, our youth pastors there, they took us under their, our wing and they loved on us, and we were very involved in the youth group and stuff. But I still wasn't saved, and, and I really had not given up the idea of being 18, 19 year olds and, and partying. Um, my cousin invites us over to her house, which is if you know anything about Helena or Pelham, it's over here, this, uh, is it Pure Pack Ice? That's over here off this street. And uh, she was in a little apartment there and we go over for a cookout for a barbecue and uh, we get through eating and we're going in and it's me and Angela and Mason and then her and her boyfriend or husband at the time. And we, uh, we're, we're hanging out and I, and I realize they have disappeared. So I'm gonna go find them. So Angela's playing with Mason down in the living room and I go upstairs and I find them up there in a, in a bathroom and they're rolling a joint. And, you know, I'd been around that a lot for the past few years, and I thought, great, this is, this is fabulous. So I go in there, and we sort of pull the door shut, and I start going in there, help them roll a joint, and we're going we're gonna to smoke the joint. About that time, Angela, she wants to know where I went, and she opens the door, and she exploded. And uh, she's like, what in the world are you doing? You know, my child is your child and my child is down here and and you're up here going to smoke pot what in the world are you doing give me the keys i am leaving you you're never going to see your child again i didn't know where we were though i had no idea <laughs> i mean i've never been there before and uh, otherwise i would have left you know and i asked in the hotel oh, well finish what you're going to say and then i'll say what i was going to say <laughs> um anyway at that point um you know, I, I, it was okay if she had left, but I didn't want her taking my son. And, and Yeah, I said, what about me? Because he said, kept saying he wanted to, you know, he, he didn't want to lose his son. He didn't want to lose his son. What about me? He said, at that point, I didn't care what you did. He said, I just wanted you gone. She, she was a tiger with the claws out. That, that, that was, um, but, you know, in, in a few years of partying, I, I never did turn to God just for the love of God. Um, and, and, and as I was a kid growing up, I would always do bad stuff and allow my parents to beat me for doing bad stuff because doing bad stuff was so much fun. And, uh, and I almost took that same aspect with God. I'll do bad stuff and I know God's going to beat me, but I'll take the punishment. But I couldn't take the punishment and have it put onto my son. Mm -hmm. And when I finally turned to God at that point, that was the breaking point. I was going to turn to God because I was not going to lose my son. I was not going to let partying take my son away. I was not going to let me turn him from God, take my son away. And I was going to live for God so that that verse where it says the children of the righteous will be blessed. Well, I was living that because my parents had been righteous, but all of a sudden I realized that if I was not the one who was righteous, my children weren't going to be, weren't going to be blessed. Um, 
uh, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames came to our old church. And um, there's a scene that is on there where a family, I think they died in a car accident, and when they go to heaven, there is a child that comes out to meet them that they had lost previously. And that right there was like, you know, that's when I got saved. I got saved at a Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames program. And um, seeing that scene, you know, I thought, I will never see the child that I had lost. And um, so that, that is when, um, that's when I got saved, but I still hadn't came to terms with the abortion. Um, so we, over this time, we, um, we basically just had each other. And that, that's probably pretty good for an early marriage. Um, and all we had was was commitment to, our, to each other and then commitment to that company that we were trying to get enough food to eat. And uh, Angela would sit there in the living room floor and would handwrite invoices. Uh, we didn't have a computer for the first uh, five years of being married, so at some point we had over 100 clients that should sit there and handwrite every visit that we did that month and everything we did, it would all be handwritten out on the invoices. And uh, the, the times we'd have the arguments would be like tithing or some things about money. But, you know, I can remember buying pairs of hand printers that'd be $20 or a sprayer that'd be $80. And we didn't have food in the pantry. But I'm sitting there buying, buying tools we needed to do work and without having food to eat. And so five years into it, though, um, Elijah was born. And five years into it, we finally were able to actually go on what we call our first honeymoon. Um, the, the young people from... Uh, Gary Wood used to rent this condo in Gatlinburg and got this church discount. So we called and said, hey, can we get the church discount? And uh, we finally went for like two nights to Gatlinburg, and that was our, that was our honeymoon. Um, we had had Elijah when he was about two years old. Um, one day, um, I had been on a missions trip, though, to Scotland, and uh, I, got to, I was blessed enough to be able to do that. And um, during that time, we were there for like 10 days, and I wasn't feeling good, but I'm, I'm one I don't complain. I, I just, you know, don't do that. And, uh, but when we get back, I guess it was a few days later that I wasn't feeling good. And overnight, I just really wasn't feeling good. And so um, the next day, I said, okay, I, I need to go to the doctor. There's something going on. And I couldn't find a, um, a babysitter for Elijah. And... Uh, I was going to have, and so I'm thinking the whole time, okay, I got to go to the bank, I got to get money um, for the parking deck and blah, blah, blah. So I take and I, um, I go to the bank and I get money for the parking deck, for the parking deck. And when I leave my bank and I'm, I have to go buy the, my street to, my house is just right off the street. And I almost turned in there to go home. I'm just going to ride this out, whatever it is, because of Elijah. And, um, but something in the back of my head told me, no, you, you need to keep going. You need to go to the doctor. And so when I got to the doctor, um, I was a work in. So I was, I sat there for a couple of hours. Uh, I, it was almost a couple of hours that I sat there and I go to the back and everything. And, um, the next thing I know, I told, they ran tests and everything. And the next thing I know, I told that I'm being pregnant, that, I, that I'm pregnant and that um, I have ruptured and I am bleeding internally and um, I need to have emergency surgery. So within about 45 minutes after that, I'm on an operating table and the nurses are scurrying and they're trying to um, 
they're, they're watching Elijah for me. We didn't know what to do. And so um, uh, I take and I go through that. And, and uh, the whole time in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, you know, oh, God, you know, I'm ha- this is payback for what I've done, you know, what, what I did. And uh, you're, you know, I'm losing another, uh, another child. And um, so we go through that and everything. And the doctor told me that if they had told us later on, he said, if you had not come into my office, he said, you would have died if you went home. He said, you had bled over half the amount. Internally, you had bled over half the amount of blood in your body. And I know that to this day, it was God that told me, you know, you need to keep going to the doctor. And a um, couple of weeks after that, Paul was in the hospital with a staph infection. Yeah, if you want to catch a staph infection, go to a hospital. Yeah. And so I spent the night with her in a hospital for a couple of nights, yep. and then I turn around and come out of it with a staph infection. Yep. Um, I guess it was, uh, what was it? It was... I had had, um, we moved here and everything, and uh, in June of that year, I was diagnosed with, um, well, back up just for a minute. Do I got time? Okay. Back up just for a minute. Um, I had went to the doctor, and I was having letters sent because I'd had an abnormal pap smear, and I was ignoring them. It said I needed to, I needed to come back, and um, the doctor said um, she did test and everything and uh, said that uh, I had cervical cancer and um, said that I needed to have a hysterectomy and um, or that we could still have a child but you know we had time if you still wanted to have a child you can do it but we decided that we were going to have a hysterectomy and, you know, it's different when you, when you have the parts to still have a, a child, it, um, it's okay. But when the parts are took away, everything is just totally different. I mean, nothing about me was the same. My heart, my soul, my body, everything was, was different. And when I had the hysterectomy, it was actually on September the 11th, 2001. And um, when that was going on, I was on an operating table. And... Um, but things just got bad after that. The anniversary day came, and it was just really bad that day. I, I just, every year, you have to understand that every year. The anniversary day. Yeah, the you, anniversary that, day. That's, that's the anniversary of her having the abortion. Yeah. And so it was a rough, rough time every year. Yeah. I would just hold up and just cry all day long and not socialize with anybody. And I'd look to him, and I knew that he couldn't do anything. And I'm like, I'm missing something. Something's just not right. You know, I've got to do something about this. Yeah, you need to tell about Pastor Ron. Oh, um, Pastor Ron had given a a series uh, called Releasing Your Regrets. And he talked about, um, you know, why are you doing this? You know, God is given, you know, God has freed you. You have, you know, he's there for you. And um, so after that, I understood and I thought I've got to, you know, I've got to make this happen. I've got to do something about this. Now, now, when was that? What year was that? Do you remember? When he did release in your regrets? Yeah. Could have been seven or eight years ago. Yeah. It's been been about 17 years or so. 
That wasn't long ago, though. Seven no. or eight years ago. Yeah. Releasing your regret. It was about 17, 18 years after the abortion. And, and what happened? As that word planted in your heart. It, it, it's like something opened up. You know how when a, when a, when a butterfly is in a cocoon and when it finally starts taking in, in uh, it finally starts developing and it comes out and it's that beautiful butterfly, you know? I, I think it was kind of like that. I think that, you know, you, you just, uh, everything just opened up and I was, I understood. I understood that, you know, God is there for you. He, he doesn't care about your past. He is there for you and he's there for you in the, you know, the moment and, and then some, you know? And he finally let me realize that, Angela, I've forgiven you for that. You have to forgive yourself for that, you know? You know, what was so powerful to me about your story, Angela, is that all the years you spent on that anniversary day and working through those cycles and the health problems, you guys noticed this when you heard, in that looming thought that this is payback. God's punishing me. He's getting me back. He's mad at me. He's paying me back. And then that realization that actually God's already let me go. What he wants me to do is accept his forgiveness and let myself go. Mm -hmm. And that's really the greatest power of forgiveness is that the day comes when you realize that you're the prisoner. And God's grace has been there all along. And accepting that is through God's power and grace, letting yourself free, letting yourself go. Go ahead. Did you have another, another oh, thought? I'm you? good if you are. <laughs> I, I'm okay. Hey. No, I, I was going to say, you know, I, I didn't come up here to tell this, to pity me, pity me or feel sorry for me or stuff. I just want y'all to know that if there is just one person out here in this, in this congregation that, you know, has gone through this, just know that you're not alone. You know, all those years you think when you go, they don't tell you about that. They don't, you know, you, you think you are the only one, even though you know that there is others. They, they don't tell you about that. They don't, there's a lot more that I could tell, you know, that, that went on and stuff. Um, but just know that you're not the only one, you know. God's there. His arms are open. All you have to do is just come forward. Great. Would you give them a great big hand for sharing so openly? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask our worship team to come, and if you would stand with me right now. Well, thank you guys. What an incredible story of grace. I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'd come. And, and uh, Paul and Angela, would you mind coming down? And there may be... There may be um, Go down the stairs. Yeah, come on. You know, today... Maybe you heard part of that story and said, some part of that story is me. I, I, the more I know people and the more I know God and the more I know myself, the more convinced I become that there's something about our human experience that makes us wrongly believe that God's out to get us, that he's after us, that he's trying to pay us back, that he's trying to punish us, that he's, that he's mad at us. And, and we get that idea because we, we start life out separated from him. And it's only through encountering his love and grace and many of the stories that Paul and Angela mentioned that we learn that's not true. We learn otherwise. So this morning, we just want to pray. And uh, if you close your eyes as the, as the worship team's coming.
And I, and I just want to ask you where you stand right now. Maybe you're at a place that you say, it's time for me um, to recommit my heart to Christ. It's time for me to invite Jesus' forgiveness. It's time for me to give my life to God. Like Paul said, you know, he still hadn't given his life to God yet. But there came that moment. And maybe this is that moment for you. Or, or maybe you're here, and I'm just going to leave it this broad. Maybe you're here and you say, it's time for some healing to begin. Or it's time for some healing in my life to continue. It's time for some healing in our marriage. It's time for some healing in our home. You don't, you don't have to be any more specific uh, than that right there. But if that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. And I want to ask you to just come and let the prayer team. Paul and Angela are here and our, some of our pastors are here. And uh, other prayer team members are here. I just want you to come and let them pray with you. And you're free to say whatever you want to say. Or whatever you don't want to say. But maybe you need to come today and say, it's time for some healing. It's time for some grace. It's time for me to recommit my life to Christ. So with every eye closed, if that's you, I just want you to step out right now. And come and find one of the prayer team members. And let them pray for you. Wherever you are, in the balcony, in the, in the middle, in the back, I want you to step out right now. Come on and just step out. Maybe somebody's beside you and you need to get out. Just say, excuse me, could I, could I get out? I want to pray now. I want to go and pray. The worship team is going to begin to sing a song in just a minute before they do that. If that's you, would you just lift a hand and say, man, that's me today. It's time for some healing in my life. It's time for some healing from the scars of my family. It's time for some healing uh, in my marriage. It's time for some healing in, in my soul. Maybe it's just time for some healing from some things you did wrong. You know, just because you're forgiven doesn't mean you're healed. Just because you're forgiven doesn't mean that like in angels, like those memories don't haunt you and stay with you. And so if any of that's you, would you just lift a hand and say, I need prayer today. I need prayer today. I, I need God today. I need God's forgiveness and healing in my life. Would you just lift a hand? I, yeah, I see it. Come on, just lift a hand. I see your hand. Yeah. Just lift a hand today. Just lift a hand today. I see your hand. Yeah, thank you. Somebody else. I see your hand today. I see your hand. Somebody else. right back down. Yeah, these are, these are honest moments that we come to. And those honest moments of confession are what open the door for healing to happen. Come on, somebody. You might be somebody that's been a part of our church for, for 10, 15, 20 years. And maybe it's been something in your life that you've battled with and maybe nobody does know. Like, like Angela said, I could say more. But maybe nobody knows. But it's time. Inside your heart, it's time. Maybe this is the very first time you've ever been to Kingwood. And you say, today it's time. Would you just lift a hand and say, that's me? Would you lift a hand and say, that's me? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to invite you to come and pray with someone. 
on the prayer team. But I'm going to pray, and we're going to ask God to touch you. Lord, I thank you today for the power of your Spirit. I thank you today for the revelation of love and grace that we've heard this morning. I thank you today that you are not mad at us. You are not trying to torture us. You are not trying to punish us. You are not trying to pay us back for everything we've done wrong. You are chasing us to love us. You are chasing us to free us. You are chasing us to let us go and to set us free and to forgive us and set us in right relationship with you. You are chasing us to heal us. As Paul said this morning, God wouldn't stop. And God's not going to stop for you that's in this room this morning. God's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. I thank you for that today. I thank you for that today. This morning, if you'd like to pray to receive Christ, if you'd like to pray to give your life to Jesus with no one looking, I just want you to lift your hand and I'm going to pray with you right where you are. Would you just lift your hand? I want to pray with you right where you are. You want to pray to give your life to Christ. I want to pray with you. Anywhere that you are. In just a minute, I'm going to, I'm going to pray one more time. And the worship team's going to begin to sing. And the ushers are going to come. And they're going to receive the offering. And they're going to receive uh, your guest cards and response cards that you filled out. And I'm going to ask you to put all that there. And our, during our worship song, if you'd like to come and pray, we're here with you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the testimony of grace we heard today. Lord, as we sing this song, I pray that you'd be glorified and honored. And Lord, I know your spirit is active, working in this room, ministering even now. So God, I pray that you would plant seeds in our heart, that you would water them, that you would nurture them, that you would raise them up and make them grow, and that you would continue the powerful work that you started in our life. We give you praise this morning. Jesus' mighty name, everybody said.